0: Whether we believe it or not, whether we have experienced it, whether we embrace it, the gospel is the story of grace. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation weaves this theme all the way through it of grace. Of God, the creator, extending to Undeserving human beings, love, patience, and kindness, and gentleness, grace. And even if we grab that, even if we embrace that, even if it is something that we say, Yeah, I get that, we still struggle to believe and to, to understand and to live the fact that people who've experienced grace are called to be agents. Of grace. That the calling of the church, the calling of God's people in this world is to be people of grace. Because the church's track record historically and quite frankly, presently, is sketchy at best in accomplishing that, we need stories like the one we just read from the eighth chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus is in the temple. Teaching, kind of minding his own business when all of a sudden there's a commotion and these guys drag in a woman put her in front of him and say Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and the law says to stone her what do you say? Jesus doesn't say anything he just gets down on his hands and knees and he starts drawing in the dust And they keep questioning him, badgering him. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And finally he stands up and says, All right, here's what I say. Those of you who have no sin in your life, you throw the first stone. And then he kneels back down and begins writing in the dust again. And when he looks up, they're all gone. And he says to the woman, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, sir. And he says then neither do I. That is the gospel of grace. Does she deserve to be condemned? Yes. Does he have every right to condemn her? Yes. But he offers her grace instead because that's who God is. That's the story of the gospel. And there's something about grace that looks beyond what's right in front of us it looks beyond the actions and the behaviors of people and begins asking and desiring to know what is it in this person's life that's causing them to be like this what traumas have they experienced what ex- what things have they gone through what hurts and brokenness and disappointments what what has happened to them that has led them to this kind of Instead of just outright judging them because they're wrong, there is a willingness and a desire to look deeper. That's where grace begins. I was reading a while back about a police officer that was on the, moving onto the on ramp of an interstate in a large city, and there were cars all over. And of course, he he did what. I find it maddening that people don't do when I'm behind them, is that as you go up the on-ramp, you're supposed to accelerate. So that when you get to the actual interstate, you're going the speed of the cars on the interstate, and you can just merge right into them. And so he's accelerating up this on-ramp, and he pulls over into traffic and didn't realize that he cut someone off. And he saw them swerve around him in the next lane, and he realized, this was my fault. And so as this woman in the car drove past him, he sort of waved at her like, hey, my bad, I'm sorry. And she waved back at him, but with a very different kind of gesture. And he thought to himself, you know, I wasn't going to pull her over, but now I am. Because she was going 70 in a 55. And he decided, forget that. And so he flicks on his siren and his lights and pulls her over. And so he's sitting there in the car, ready to go up and really let her have it, and ride her as big a ticket as he can. And then he remembered a seminar he had been in a few weeks before, and the instructor said, look, you're out there not just with a badge and a gun. You're out there to make people's lives better. Think about that. And so he's sitting there, and he's thinking to himself, I don't really want to do that, but I will. And so he walks up to her car, and she rolls down the window, and he leans into her, and he says, ma'am, I'm going to guess you're having a really bad day. And she burst into tears. And just her whole horrible day began to pour out to him. And, and they stood there by the side of the road for about 20 minutes talking. Not as a cop to a perpetrator, but as just as a person to a person. Nobody else would listen to her, but he did, and that changed her. And that's what grace does. It start, as, starts asking, not just, wow, look at how bad this behavior is, but it's what's going on behind that. What's happening there? Because, you see, God always does that with us. God understands that we go through pain and we, we are broken. God understands that we go through hurt and struggles and there's all kinds of things. And that's why he's so full of grace to us. It's not about deserving grace, because the whole point of grace is that it's undeserved. This is who God is, and this is what He calls us to be as His people. You know, lots of people, lots of us grew up uh, if you we went to Sunday school, you know, reading the story of the prodigal son, and you know, the story of the younger son who says, "Father, give me my inheritance," and he runs off and he wastes it, and all kinds of. of Sinful behavior and then he once all the money's gone and he's destitute, and he comes crawling back home. And it says that before he said a word to his father, while he was still afar off, the father sees him and he runs to his son. And there are lots of people who have written books about that story. Tim Keller wrote one a few years ago that he titled Not the Prodigal Son, but the Prodigal God. Because no one looks different than we would expect than God does when he keeps extending grace to us but the church struggles with grace we we like it in theory we just aren't all that thrilled about it in practice and that's something that Brennan Manning writes about in his book The Ragamuffin Gospel he says by and large the church of grace the church of the God by and large the gospel of grace is neither proclaimed understood nor lived in the church, too many Christians are living in the house of fear and not in the house of love. We resonate the slogans like there 's no no free lunch. you get what you deserve. you want money, work for it. you want love, earn it, you want mercy, show you deserve it. do unto others before they do it unto you by all means, give others what they deserve, but not one penny more. we can get caught up in that same kind of mindset. That's the mindset of these religious leaders who bring this woman to Jesus. You know, this, this, uh, most scholars, there's a general consensus that this story is not in the original manuscripts of John's gospel. And so the church has debated back and forth through the centuries, should it be in there or should it not? The reason it's in there is because there, there there's evidence, there's writing from the 2nd, 3rd century of church fathers who say it may not have been in the original manuscript of John's Gospel, but it's a true story. We have talked to witnesses who it, saw it. And so that's why the church has included it. But the, back in the 4th century, when they were debating a lot of this, there were people who said, we don't want that story put into the scriptures because it might give people the impression that you can sin... With impunity. And Jesus will just say, I don't condemn you. See, our fear is people are going to take advantage of grace. And I say, of course we are. It's what we do. When you read the pages of Scripture from beginning to end, it's all about people taking advantage of God's grace and God continuing to be gracious. Gracious. Because it isn't deserved in the first place. I find that the most difficult people that to give grace to are people that we have no connection to. Whether that connection is experience or relationship or whatever it may be. A lot of times we struggle to give grace to people who we can't understand what they're wrestling with. Because we we have no experience with it. And we, we want to say, look, what's the big deal? How come we can't get over this? It's not that hard. Well, that's only because it's not our struggle. We forget that more than likely they could turn the tables around on us and say, why are you struggling with that? That's not that hard. There's something about that connection that, that causes us to either extend grace or withhold it. Now, I, you know, if you know me, you know that I'm an Indiana basketball fan, and when I watch an Indiana game, I am excited. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm not a, a, a peaceful person watching these basketball games. You can ask my family, you can ask their friends who happen to have been at the house at that time that I've had to later call and apologize to. I get excited, I scare the dog, I scare the babies, you know, and, and uh, my boys have inherited that as well. You know, I'm, I get excited when good things happen for them and I get frustrated when they don't. But, you know, most of my animosity at the game is not the, it's not the players on the field. It's the old, three older guys wearing the striped shirts. This particular referee, his name is Steve Wellmer. And Steve is retired now, but for probably about 30 years, he was a college basketball referee. And most people would consider him to be a good college basketball referee. But he had his faults like everybody else, and he made mistakes. You know what I found interesting? I thought about this one time. I I almost always gave Steve Wellmer a pass. I I didn't hold him to the same standard. I didn't get near as upset with him, if at all, as I did lots of the other referees. And the reason is because when I was a child growing up in Evansville, Indiana, Steve Wellmer was the star of the University of Evansville basketball team. And I spent most of my childhood watching him play basketball. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. But I have a connection to him. We have a history, and it makes me think a lot more of grace to him than I did all the other guys wearing the striped shirts. And the problem is not that I shouldn't. The problem is not that I just say, "Well, I shouldn't extend him that kind of grace." The issue is I should be extending that same grace to all the others. And that's our dilemma. The reason we struggle with grace is because somewhere in the deep in the recesses of our minds, we know that there's another side to this tension. And we're trying to live in the balance of that. Because Jesus does not just say to this woman, neither do I condemn you. He also says to her, now go and leave your life of sin. And the tension that Jesus embodies here with his words and his actions, is that we, we live in this grace that God's given us, but we also recognize that there is holiness and righteousness and there is accountability about how we live. We have a tendency to think that when, when the, the law comes up in the, in the New Testament that it's simply something we need to get rid of and push aside, but the law was given to Israel as a good thing. That's why the psalmist in 119 spends all those 100 and what 76 verses declaring how awesome the law is because he knows it's not just rules and regulations. The law is given to Israel and the admonitions are given to us because sin is real and sin is destructive and God wants us to move away from it. And to say that, well, God gives me grace so I can live however I want to is to say sin doesn't matter. Sin has, has, has no bearing on my life when it does. Because sin leads us away from our Creator who is the source of life and hope and joy and all that is good. And that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and all the other places where he talks about it and that's why the prophets keep talking about it and why Paul keeps talking about it. And it matters how we live. Because He wants us to know the fullness of life in our Creator and not, be, not live in the bondage and the chains of sin. And that's what Jesus says to this woman. He says, look, I'm not condemning you. I'm going to give you grace. Now go, be free. Live in the freedom of that grace. In righteousness and holiness and accountability. That's why the church is so important. John Wesley recognized that as he was as he was as the Methodist movement was was uh, exploding on the scene in England. And Wesley created class meetings, and then he created bands, and the bands were sort of the hardcore Methodists. And they came together once a week, and they would ask a number of questions, but at least two every time. What victories have you experienced this past week that we can celebrate and give thanks to God for? And everyone went around the room and told their stories. And the second question was, what sins have you committed this week that you need to confess so we can pray for you and hold you accountable? We tried that now. Talk about clearing out a room, right? And see, we rebel against that kind of accountability. Why? Because something in the back of our mind says... Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. And we see that as as disobeying that command of judgment, but we've missed the point if we say that. Jesus is not saying that accountability and holiness and righteousness are not the gospel. He's saying, if you're going to hold each other accountable, you need to hold each other accountable. You do that in a spirit of humility, You do that in a spirit of grace. You do that in a spirit of love that cares enough about other people that says, I want to help you to break free from the chains of that. And that's really the point. It's breaking free from the chains. It's being set free from the bondage of so much that enslaves us. And drawing closer and closer and closer to our loving God. And we are called to live in this tension as people who are agents of God's freedom. Jesus says in John three seventeen, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to redeem it, restore it, reconcile it. The purposes of Jesus are the same purposes God has had all through the centuries, and that is not to condemn, but to restore and to reconcile and to give us life. But that can't only be found living in this tension. And we're agents of that for people. That means we need to build relationships with people. And it's not... I think sometimes what we want to do is say, well, let's, do, let's go like half grace. Because if we give full grace, people are going to take advantage of that, and that may well be the case. So we're just going to give a little bit of grace, and let's see how that works out. I'm awfully glad that God doesn't do that with us. Because the reality is, it's not half grace and half righteousness and accountability. It is all grace. And it is all holiness and righteousness and accountability. And I have to be honest with you, I I do not understand exactly how all of that works. But I know that that's the gospel. And I know that's the calling on us who are agents of the gospel. To have a desire, a willingness in our hearts, a yearning in our souls to say, I want to be people, I want to be a person that gives grace, fully and completely. I also want to be a person that helps other people find the freedom in Christ that comes through holiness and righteousness. Because God always has more for us than we could ever dream or imagine. and really brings us back to this table. We come back to this table, it comes back to Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross. What Jesus' life means for us. It comes back to engaging the cross, engaging with God, being filled with His Spirit, responding out of what He's done for us. It is intriguing to me that John ends chapter 7 by saying that they had this meeting, and when they were done, everyone went to their own homes except for Jesus. Because chapter 8 begins with saying, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and the next morning He went to the temple. And the Mount of Olives is the place where Jesus goes to pray. Jesus spends all night praying. And then he goes to the temple for worship. And there is something significant about finding the the resources to embrace this tension in, in private prayer and in corporate worship. There's something significant about that. There's something about that kind of experience that draws us closer to God and closer to God that we begin having the mind of Christ and we start seeing people differently. We start connecting our experiences to them. You know, everybody wonders, what does Jesus write in the dirt when he kneels down? And no one knows, but there are a lot of theories, a lot of theories. It struck me recently that what if Jesus wrote in the dust His mother's name, Mary. I'm not sure if Mary, under the law, would have been condemned to be stoned, but she certainly was condemned to be ostracized and punished because she is an unmarried woman who's having a baby. And who really believes the story about angels and the Holy Spirit? Really? Really? We only believe it because we are on this side of it. It's that kind of mindset toward people that comes out of spending time with our Father who is all grace and who calls us to so much more than what we are. Freedom. Restoration. You know, we have been Using the loom as as a, a symbol, an image, throughout this, this all these this two months, thinking about tensions. and This is a, a tapestry that Catherine Tiblow just completed. And she's been working on this loom over these last few weeks. Months, actually, I guess. And um, finished this. She wrote me a note, and she said um, a couple of times as she was working on this, that the whole idea of the cross just really struck her so clearly and she said what she realized as as she was as she was merging horizontal threads and vertical threads the warp and the weft is that every single time those threads came together there was a little cross and the reality is this tapestry is made up of thousands of little crosses and that's what it comes back to it's not work harder do better Open your heart to Jesus. It's see the grace of God to us and see the call of God to so much more than we could possibly imagine because he is, as they sang, the master weaver. This is who God is. And out of that, this is what he calls us to be in his grace and in his mercy and his freedom. We have a tendency to lean either toward grace or toward righteousness and accountability. And the answer is not to say, well, if I lean toward grace, I need a little less grace so I can do a little more accountability. Nor is the answer, I need to be lean more toward accountability, less accountability and more grace. It's both and. Because that's who God is to us. the question about who we are to other people is really rooted in do we believe that God is who he says he is? We open our hearts to him and let him make us agents of his gospel. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for calling us to more than what we are. Help us to open ourselves to you. Father, as we prepare to come to this table, may your blessing rest upon the bread and the cup. And as we eat and drink, we may know the power of the risen Christ in us. Pray this in his name.